One of the, as a missionary with Eastern Mennonite Missions and sent out by this church, uh, one of my special privileges is that I travel and I learn many stories, and then I look for opportunities to share those. And this morning, I'm really going to focus on sharing stories uh, around a very specific theme. But um, one of the things I did was worship in many different churches over the last month. And in one particular church in Paris, uh, Chatenay Malabri Mennonite Church, the, the meeting host said, please tell your church that we greet them in the name of Jesus. So I'm just taking that message from Paris and your Mennonite brothers and sisters in Paris greet you. We're part, as members of Mount Joy Mennonite Church, we're actually part of a very large global Anabaptist family. Um, Anabaptist movement started in the 1500s in the beginning of the, the Reformation time. It's a time of religious ferment. There was all kinds of, of uh, controversies and challenges. And in the middle of that, some people who, who started the Anabaptist church had a spiritual reawakening and a rediscovery of the teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at a, at a film clip that features a reenactment of Michael Sattler and his wife, Margaretha. Michael was one of the earliest uh, theologians who wrote a confession of faith for, for what became the Mennonite church. In this, so he and his wife were both in, the, in monasteries. He was a monk. She was a, a nun. His job in the monastery was really a, a, not a nice one. He went around with soldiers and collected taxes on behalf of the duke. And somehow that was part of his work as a, as a monk in the church. So it's a, not a good job. So when he found a new life in Christ, he, he broke his vows of the Catholic Church, and so did Margaretha, and they got married, and they had to find a new way to support themselves, and they tried weaving, but they were really bad at it. That's the, this sets you up for the clip uh, that we're going to watch now. One bad thread. Pardon? I sewed the board of the single dyed thread, and it took over the bolt. So you've learned a lesson. No. We just keep making the same mistake over and over. Michael, I don't think it's... It takes only one bad thread to ruin the entire fabric, don't you see? We weave man's authority into God's and the church is corrupted. But we do have to live in the world. In the world, perhaps. But not of it. Is that possible? That's the truth of baptism. Leaving the kingdom of the world. And joining the kingdom of God. Yes. When I was a prior, I split my vows between Christ and the Duke. Luther, he divides his loyalty with the German state. Swingley, his counsel. Wilhelm is right. A baptism of choice signals that we break with the world in matters of faith. But Wilhelm had his peasants. Yes. The sword. When we accept its power... We invite its corruption. How can we avoid that? By forming a church separate 
from the power of the sword. The apostles had no duke, no prince. And no guarantees. What can you say to a woman who wants safety for her children? What guarantee can you offer a man for his family? Faith. Only faith. So they're talking about being in the world, but not of it. And then the immediate challenge, what? But what would you say? How should we actually live this way? And so that is the, the subject of our message this morning is how, how do we live in the world, but not of the world? And um, I, I've got the message in two parts. The first part, A, is, is a scripture message. Part B is four stories that uh, give us signs about what the kingdom of God is like from uh, current living Anabaptist churches around the world. But if you want to open your Bible with me, you can go to Acts 1 from chapter 1, 1 to 8. I'm going to read. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. How are we supposed to live in the world? Jesus' disciples, they heard Jesus for 40 days after the resurrection. They heard Jesus teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then they come to Jesus and say, but uh, Jesus, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of the world? Well, they said the kingdom of Israel. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel as a worldly power that will do your will in the world? Exercise government and and, uh, all the responsibilities of government. And Jesus' reply is, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you Holy Spirit power, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go out into the whole world and be a testimony. You're going to be signs of my kingdom wherever you go. And this, I, I like this short text and how much it illustrates the way Jesus thinks and the way we people tend to think. Jesus is preaching to them about the kingdom of God, and his disciples say, but yeah, but what about the practical world, and how are we supposed to live? And, and wouldn't it be great if Israel could again rule uh, this region of the world. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you power 
but it's Holy Spirit power to be my witnesses. So in the, in the four stories I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm going to be exploring four different communities of faith who are attempting to live and work according to the rules and the understanding of the kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching. Um, Anabaptists um, have always put a lot of emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount and the life and teaching of Jesus as, as fundamental to how we should understand how we live in the world. Okay, part B. The kingdom of God, where Jesus is Lord, should not be confused with any kingdom of the world. We believe the New Testament teaches that God's people, the church, followers of Jesus, are no longer tied to any particular nation or geography or people group. And so our allegiance to any particular uh, government or, or uh, group or location is always subject to another allegiance. Yes, I will respect the law of the land, but my primary allegiance is always to Jesus first. I want to share four stories from our global Anabaptist family, stories about people living in the world but not of it, stories that I find personally very challenging All the stories are true. They're all about people I know and places I've actually visited. After each story, I'll share uh, a a short relevant passage from uh, this booklet, which is our Confession of Faith. I I, I promise I won't read it to you, but I'm I'm drawing a little bit out of each uh, of four different segments here. So, most recently, Carol and I got to um, spend a day with this team in France. They're part of La Prairie Mennonite Church, which is a a Mennonite church an awful lot like ours. Uh, They have a big building. Uh, They have about an average Sunday attendance. This thing is driving me nuts. I don't know what to do about it. Let's try this. Yeah, it's just not working. Is that, can you still hear me? All right. La Prairie Mennonite Church has uh, a, a large congregation, I was saying. And this is one of their teams focused on ministry to immigrants. Um, and amazingly, this team has been going for more than 50 years. More than 50 years ago, the Peugeot Auto Factory in Montbéliard, where this church is located, uh, began bringing in Algerian workers in large numbers. There's huge apartment building complexes around the city where these workers came to live and work at the auto factory. And the church, 50-some years ago, saw a need to and an opportunity to witness. How do you witness? They're all Muslim. They're all from Algeria. They're coming to France. They don't know French. And so for the last 50 years, in one way or another, they've been, been uh, witnessing. At the moment, 
their primary outreach to this um, Algerian community is with an after-school homework help program that has 80 kids three to four days a week and 45 volunteers who give the kids one-on-one attention for an hour in the afternoon after school. It's amazing. It's run by a a retired school administrator and uh, the order and perfection of how it's all just put together was really astonishing to me. Uh, In the picture, you see people that are from the United States, Switzerland, Uruguay, and France. So it's a multi-ethnic team. And uh, they even have one Algerian Christian who serves on their team. So it's just a beautiful, a beautiful example. And one of our Anabaptist values is to say, is to, to understand what we mean when we say the church of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that the church, we acknowledge the church is a society of believers from many nations anointed for witness by the Holy Spirit. A place where divisions between races and nations and classes and genders can be healed as we're reconciled and united in the church. Participation in the church is voluntary. Our earliest, uh, the founders of the Anabaptist movement, they were so strongly committed to freedom of choice. You can't baptize someone against their will. You can only do that when they're an adult and able to make a conscious choice about it. And they met regularly. The church is to meet regularly. The, the earliest Mennonite confession of faith, or Anabaptist one I mean, the Schleidheim Confession, says you should meet three to four times a week to read the Bible and pray together. And it's a worldwide body. The body of Christ is not tied to any particular nation. It's it's one body worldwide committed to Jesus. The second story is from Indonesia. You most of you probably know that I've been working on a documentary film about peacemaking in Indonesia. And Indonesia is a country with lots of natural disasters because they're on what's called the ring of fire that goes around the Pacific Ocean. So they've got lots of volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, and tsunamis. So much so that the Mennonite church has started a search and rescue team to serve their their nation. And uh, these are young Mennonite guys on the, on the search and rescue team. I got to go to one of their training days. Fascinating thing, though. Half of the search and rescue team are Muslim youth from a militia group, and half are Mennonite youth from the local Mennonite church. They're all together getting training from the National Search and Rescue Service. See, the, the, for the Indonesian Mennonite church, they see a very clear opportunity to to give a peace mission in their community. Their community has experienced over the years a lot of violence and a lot of uh, radical Islam violence. And the way they've decided to work at it, one of the ways, 
is this um, search and rescue team that has both Mennonites and Muslims on the team together. It's part of the church's bigger plan of peace building and witness. And their regular service as a search and rescue team is a sign of the kingdom in their community. So this is the church in mission. We believe the church is called to proclaim and be a sign of the kingdom. Christ has commissioned the church to be his witnesses, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. The search and rescue team is part of the larger church's plan to bear witness to Jesus through both word and deed. Story number three is from Nigeria. The Church of the Brethren uh, in Nigeria is a big church, over a million members. In the 2010 to 2020, up to present, the church has suffered tremendously. Thousands of members of the Church of the Brethren in Nigeria have been killed by terrorism, and 75% of all their members became uh, refugees, internally displaced, displaced people who had to flee their region of northeast Nigeria where Boko Haram was attacking and burning their churches. Um, I learned that they, many of them fled to other cities and other countries and started new churches, so their church has actually grown because of this. There are more members today than when they, before they experienced terrorism. In 2015, I got to go and visit the region where, where this church is. And uh, this past winter, I heard uh, Dr. Daud Agava speak at E-Town College. And listen to what he told us. Enduring violence... Yeah, after enduring violence at the hands of the terrorist group Boko Haram, the church is spreading into regions where members fled and established churches. Okay, next slide. There we go. He says, although the church was seriously affected, it concentrated on reconciliation, reconstruction, and relocation of members. In the last five years, they've been able to start slowly moving back to their farms and their churches. Okay? Okay. The church took a stand in supporting both Christians and Muslims that were returning from displacement. Uh, So the church and Christians in Nigeria suffered a lot. Boko Haram killed thousands. But what you may not know is that Muslims also suffered and Boko Haram killed tens of thousands of Muslims. So the, the violence against Christians was very severe And the number of Muslims who died was actually even far higher. So when EYN, that's the Church of the Brethren, began moving back in, so did other Muslims begin moving back. And the church initiated a dialogue between Christians and Muslims to foster peace. He said, this shows that we are, EYN, is a historic peace church. When I heard Dr. Dauda Gava speak at E-Town College, He told me what it's like now having moved back. He said, we Mennonites are there. We, we, sorry, 
We, we Church of the Brethren, are there, but so are Boko Haram members. In fact, he says, we know them and, and they know us. He said, a couple, uh, about two years ago, he said, I met the man who burned down my father's house and burned down our church. And I said to him, I want you to know I've forgiven you. And he said the man didn't know how to respond and they broke off the conversation. So they are choosing a very dangerous life of living with the people who actually persecuted them and showing the love and forgiveness that Jesus talked about and what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You should love your enemy Pray for the people that persecute you. They're actually, this church is living it. So one of the articles of faith in our Confession of Faith says about peace, justice, and non-resistance, we believe that peace is the will of God. God created the world in peace, and God's peace is most fully revealed in Jesus Christ, who is our peace and the peace of the whole world. Led by the Holy Spirit, we follow Christ in the way of peace, doing justice, bringing reconciliation, and practicing non-resistance even in the face of violence. So we do not participate in war or military service. The Sermon on the Mount is our guide to kingdom living. It tells us things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Be willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Love your enemies, pray for them. Do not resist. Turn the other cheek. We witness against all forms of violence. War, racism, abuse of women and children, abortion, and capital punishment. Last story. Burkina Faso Mennonite Church. This is a place that Carol and I really love because in 1991, we went to Burkina Faso and did an MCC assignment there. We did a water resource development project. Um, We went back as a family on vacation once. uh, And once I was in an airplane a few years ago that had engine trouble and made an emergency forced landing in Burkina Faso. (laughs) So I I love the place. And I have regular contact with uh, Pastor Siaka Traore. Pastor Siaka uh, used to be the president of the Mennonite Church. Uh, Now he's a deacon on the Mennonite World Conference Deacons Commission. And he grew up Muslim as a child. And he he gave his life to Christ when he was a teenager Burkina Faso is suffering right now one of the most violent and dangerous terrorist movements anywhere in the world. I think even the month of April they had more terrorist deaths than Afghanistan. So it's, it's really serious. And Mennonite Church of Burkina is right in the region that this terrorist group is trying to claim. They've got, you know, well over a million, I think a million and a half displaced people. They've got uh, most of the schools in a whole half of the country are closed, so children go to, don't go to school. And uh, farmers can't farm. All the horrible things you can think of. On top of that, the government recently took a, a new 
a new effort in their anti-terrorism efforts that shifted from like anti-terrorist effort to sort of all-out war. So there's just indiscriminate bombing of suspected villages and those kind of things. And here's the, here's the, the, the crux of the matter, though, for, for the Mennonites in Burkina Faso. The government announced a special war tax to pay for this effort. And they've taxed all the different social groups, including churches. And so there's a really heavy tax that the Mennonites are supposed to pay to pay for the war effort. What should they do? They've decided, no, we can't pay a war tax. We'll be happy to continue serving the refugees, even as we do now, and we'll even do more. We love our country. We want to serve our country. We'll take care of all these internally displaced people that have moved into our city, but we can't pay this tax. For them, they see this as a violation of the teaching of Christ to love and pray for their enemies. So what should the church's relationship be to government and society? As citizens of God's kingdom, we trust in the power of God's love for our defense. The church knows no geopolitical boundaries and needs no violence for its protection. The only Christian nation is the church of Jesus Christ, made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, called to bear witness to God's glory. The governing authorities have been instituted by God for maintaining order. We respect and pray for the governing authorities. We participate in governmental and societal organizations so long as that does not violate the law of love and holiness taught by Christ, so long as it does not compromise our loyalty to Christ. And we care for and we seek the welfare of the city wherever we may live. So the kingdom of God is where Jesus is Lord and should never be confused by any other kingdom or with any other kingdom of the world. We believe that the New Testament teaches that God's people, the church, followers of Jesus, are no longer tied to any particular nation or geography. So our allegiance to any of those groups is always limited by our allegiance to Christ. So how can I bring these four stories together? I'm going to go back to the the video clip we had at the beginning. I see in these four stories God's people struggling to figure out how to live in the world, but not of the world. In each of these stories, I see the people saying, we're really part of this world. The French Mennonites are saying, we see all these Algerian immigrants around us struggling and their kids don't uh, get the help they need after school. Uh, So they're very actively part of their community. Um, Just like in Burkina Faso, I know for a fact that the Mennonites are really going out of their way to feed and clothe and house internally displaced people. They're very much caring about their world and they're actively involved in their community and at the same time they're saying, but our allegiance to Jesus trumps 
the, relig- the, the allegiance we have to our, our government who's asking us to pay a war tax. Um, in Nigeria, they're saying we're all moving back into this community and it's very dangerous both for Christians and Muslims. So as a church, we're going to care about everybody in the community without really asking whether they're Christian or Muslim. I'm, I, I'm, I love those young guys I met on the search and rescue team. Um, I got to interview them. And um, I asked one of the Muslim guys, what is it like working with these Christian guys on a search and rescue thing? And the Muslim guy said, well, it's not hard because... When you're in a natural disaster, people just want help. And nobody ever asks if you're Christian or Muslim. They just want help. So I love how these churches around the world who I've got to meet have found really um, meaningful ways to be involved in their community and be faithful to Jesus. So what does this all mean for us? think it's really simple. We need to be involved and present in our own community. We need to actually feel the needs and pains that we have in our own community, whatever they are. Uh, Our situation's not like Nigeria. And the way we respond to those needs is to live according to the way of Jesus. Jesus is Lord over absolutely everything we've said. So how does that affect how we live in our community with our neighbors facing real problems in our community? One thing I learned from almost all the stories I shared with you is they're serving and obeying Jesus even if it hurts. And I think that might be the hardest challenge of all. It's easy when it's easy. But what do you do when it actually hurts or costs you something to live out the teaching of Jesus in your local context? So we do that by making this declaration. Jesus is Lord over everything, which means no matter what happens, I know it's going to be okay. So I want to wrap up this morning just with um, this reciting together, Jesus is Lord over absolutely everything. Jesus is Lord of absolutely everything. Will you say that with me? Jesus is Lord of absolutely everything. One more time. Jesus is Lord of absolutely everything. Amen.